Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. All right, we are live, everybody. If you're listening to the Podcast Network, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. And if you're not listening to the podcast network, well, you got the countdown music. And that's that, all you're going to get. That ruled. The countdown yes. music was awesome. We should do that more. <laughs> I've never heard that before, but that was dope. Hey, listen, I'm finding all these new things on StreamYard. The reason why we did that is because E. Casey Lydon is not here today, so I have to produce this bad boy myself. And I figured coming off of a storyline-filled UFC 276 event... Why not just bust out the old roundtable episode, especially since things were so crazy and hectic in Las Vegas last week. We it's skipped BTL. Week. Yeah, we skipped BTL, I think, week for the first time ever. Yeah. Wow. First time ever, huh? Okay. I think so. I think so. Even you had, had like, a lot going on last week. You yes. were doing a lot of stuff last week, Mike. I was, and I didn't want to wake you up at like 1 a.m. to do a, a BTL show. I didn't think that'd be very fair to you. I mean, it would have been fine. Like, I yeah. was still just waxed on the floor. It would have been okay. There you go. Well, anyways, I am Mike Heck, being joined by Mr. No Gray Area himself, Mr. Hot Take, Jed Bashu. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm uh, I'm excited to have you back in my life. Uh, there was like a solid 36 hours where you didn't have something on our podcast network, and I felt a little, it was like, oh, man, I don't know what's going on. Mike, Mike, <laughs> Monday, Monday was off for my God. I don't know what to do. So it's good, to, good to talk to you in person, buddy. It is good to talk in person. And I was only on the post fight show for maybe ten minutes, so I didn't get to hear a lot of what you had to say. And there's a reason for that because I wanted to get it in real time. So let's just dive right in to UFC 276 because Israel Adesanya successfully defends his middleweight title against Jared Cannonier. Was it a barn burner? No, it was not. Was it a fight that fans inside T-Mobile Arena decided, you know what, we're going to beat the traffic and head home a little early? Apparently it was. Were fans at home overly thrilled with the fight? Not really. But a lot of people seem to be blaming the champion for this, Jed Bishu. They seem to be blaming Israel Adesanya. Our own Shad Al-Shadi wrote an article recapping the event and said one time's okay, two times maybe, but three times if you have sort of lackluster performances, it becomes a quote-unquote trend. So is there anybody to blame here? Do we blame Adesanya more than Cannoneer? Is the challenger more to blame? Are both guys to blame? What's sort of your take on the main event itself? I mean, you blame them both. Uh, I am more want to blame Israel Adesanya. 
and I will explain why because there's been a a very odd backlash to people being like that fight blew. Um, I, I don't from from many many of our own compatriots at MMAfighting.com, incredible website. Uh, <laughs> I think you blame look you blame you have to blame Jared Cannon here because he lost the fight. And I said this with Carlos Barza Rosno Yunus. The the proof is in the pudding, right? Like the history is written by the winners. And because as he won, you can't say that what he did was wrong or bad or ineffective because he won and he won very convincingly and very cleanly. So by by the most baseline definition, Jared Kennedy is more to blame because he could have tried more, he could have been more exciting, he could have made more attempts, but he did not. And so there's that. The reason people aren't blaming him, though, I mean, there are a couple. The first is he lost. And there's just not, like, that's that's just part of being the champion. You are the guy. You're the, you're the standard bearer. You're the flag waver. You're the guy who the X's are going to be at, good or bad. So if you, if you are the marquee man and you put on a marquee performance, you get to reap those rewards. So if you are the marquee guy and you lay an egg, and whether you win or not, you lay an egg, you still have to take that on the chin. And I got really frustrated with Izzy's like indignance about being criticized as if he is some whole like levitating above the rest of us because he's so good or whatever. Like, yes, you're the best middleweight in the world. Uh, when my pound for pound rankings come out next week from Mayfriday.com, great website, uh, it will be Israel Adesanya at the top spot. I am not taking anything away from him in that regard, but if you come out, you talk a bunch of trash, better back it up. He came out talking a bunch of trash that this is fresh blood and I'm a vampire and I'm, I'm going to shine bright like a diamond. And then he just didn't like he won. He won convincingly. It was a lame fight. And this is not the first time. And that's the other reason people are blaming him because Jared Cannonier has largely not had boring fights. I'm not going to pretend that I remember his whole catalog off the top of my head, but I can't really remember being like, oh, that fight was lame for him. Like, whereas Izzy's got a bunch of them. Almost like, depending on your definition of boring or bad, you can make an argument that half of his fights in the UFC have not been fun to watch. And that's. That's on you, man. Like, yes, you are winning, and so that's okay. Like, if but you have to accept that calculus, right? You have to accept that winning and being beloved are not the same thing, and winning and praise are not the same thing. And it is certainly more financially responsible to put to prioritize winning over the other. But don't come at me with this. Well, just remember, I can do your job, but you can't do mine. I'm above criticism. Blah blah blah. Like, no, dude. Just like you. You didn't have a fun fight because you are not a fun fighter unless you have a dance partner who is going to engage you in exactly the type of fight you want. Again, the end of the day, victory is what matters in this sport, and so you cannot criticize the win. You can criticize everything else about it, and you don't. I just don't have to pretend like it's a good fight. Like I, none of us do, and there's no reason to do so. It's all okay for us to say dominant fight, dominant performance, still the champ, still the best in the world the best fighter in the world. But like, if you're not going to run headlong into his counters, he is not going to fight you in a way that is fun to watch because that is not something he's interested in. And, and I'm, I'm going to keep saying as long as he keeps doing it because 
Here, I'll end on this. The thing that made me the most upset this whole weekend, I got upset a couple of times about post-fight stuff and things that were said because some of it was really lame from the CKB boys. But the thing that made it was like the most frustrating to me is where he, like talking about Alex Bahia, he said the exact same things he said about Jared Kennedy before the fight. He was like, oh, well, you know, when my back's against the wall, that's when I perform the best and people are forgetting how good I am. And just because I... You know, just because my I was bored in my last couple of fights, and I so I, I didn't have a great day. He said the exact same thing before Cannoneer, and now he's saying the same thing here. Fool me once, man. Shame on me. Fool me like seven times. This is just who you are, dude, and own it. Like, own it. Own who you are as a fighter always, and that's just a much better way to go through life than being kind of petulant about rightfully being criticized for not being the most exciting fighter. Like... Danny Sabatello is, is D Sab's not an exciting fighter. Is that man ever being like, I'm I'm the most exciting fighter? You guys just don't know what you're watching. He's like, no, stop me. I don't give a shit. And that's like, do that. I'd I'd, I'd respect that a lot more, honestly. Yeah, his whole thing is dominance is boring, and the only reason you didn't like it is because it's dominance. So yeah. it, he he just he he drives right into the criticism. If you don't like it, stop it. If you don't like it, stop me. If not, you're just going to shut up and deal with it. It's the thing is like, we talk, we joke about it and talk about how fighters are like the most sensitive of, of people. But I never felt that Izzy was that way. This man felt like bulletproof in his self-belief forever. Like did not, nothing ever got to him. Nothing ever bothered him. Like, okay. I watch anime and do all this. Like, I don't give two tugs about you guys, whatever you guys, what cool. And now it just feels like, like he does. He and maybe he doesn't internally or whatever, but he certainly talks about how much he doesn't care a lot. And that's just like the lamest thing in the world to me. It's so like you just 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 brush it off. Don't be don't be indignant about stuff. Like you're the champion of the world. Just be cool. It's not that hard. Yeah. And to be clear. If you felt the fight was boring, no one is telling you that you can't feel that way. Like it's it's totally fine to feel that a fight is boring. Uh, I know like are. yeah, a lot of people are saying you can't feel that way, it's a fight, blah blah blah. It's fine if you don't enjoy a fight. It's okay. I blame Cannoneer more because if the writing was on the wall, the narrative is written. Even Adesanya knew it. He listens and hears everything, which is why he said what he had to say at the post-fight press conference. I could do your job. You could never do mine, which is kind of crazy. But everyone was saying for Cannonier to win this fight, he had to treat it like Kelvin Gastel. He had to go in there and make it a dogfight, make it a war. And I think in a way, Adesani was expecting that to happen. And when Cannonier decided to jump into a mid-range kickboxing match with Israel made Adesanya. A, made a business decision, Mike. That's what they call <laughs> that in the world of sports. He made <laughs> he a sure business did. decision. But of course, like Adesanya sitting there like, oh, this this is what we're doing? Okay. It's like Steph Curry giving up a wide open three to do a, a triple somersault slam dunk. Of course, he's going to take the three and he's going to hit it. It's, his best, it's the best thing about his game. So if you're going to give him that wide open three and not put bodies on him, he's going to take the damn three. And that's what Adesanya did. You're going to give him what he wants? Okay, I'm going to take it and get the W because either way, no matter what happened in the featured belt between Sean Strickland and Alex Pajeda, Izzy's got a big fight ahead of him. Big money fight. Doesn't matter who won that fight, but he had to win on Saturday. And if Cannonier's just giving him the win, he's got to take the damn win. So I get where he's coming from, but it's, it is okay 
for fans to say, and even media members to say that the fight was not all that aesthetically pleasing, considering we just watched Volkanovsky put on a masterclass. We watched Pajeda with the vicious knockout. We watched Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberina beat the shit out of each other for, for however long that fight lasted. Like, you're okay to criticize it, but if we're placing the onus on somebody, I feel like you have to put it on Cannonier because he ain't getting another title shot. This is it. This is his one opportunity to get in there, Eminem style, one shot, one opportunity. And he just fed right into Adesanya's game, which is really puzzling to me because when he actually was aggressive, he looked like he had a little bit of success there, but it just didn't happen for him on Saturday night. So here's, I mean, here's why people aren't, uh, outside of the aforementioned stuff that Izzy is the name, Izzy's the one to blame. Like that's how, that's just how it flows is to, to the guy at the top. The reason people aren't blaming Cannoneer, it's one, he did try to be more interesting than Izzy did. Like, I think objectively, he at least made more efforts, certainly as the fight went on. He did not do nearly what he should have, but he at least tried. Like, the thing, Izzy said it in his post-fight, but he said it kind of not in the same way that I'm in, that, like, I think it should be interpreted, that, you know, people used to say that stuff about Anderson Silva and GSP. They did, because they put on boring fights. And Anderson Silva and GSP did not come to the stage and say, well, love me, and I like I don't care what you think, but actually you're an asshole if you think I'm boring. Like, that's not... They were just like, yeah, it was a tough fight. I, I did what I needed to do to win and moved on with their lives because that is, that is the natural byproduct of this sport and, and excellence at it, where if your entire goal is to minimize risk, you are, by definition, not going to do the things that are the most exciting at all points in time because even if it's if it's finite, even if it's very, very small, you know, infinitesimally small, it still opens up opportunities. But at the same time, people are going to criticize you because if you look at that fight, there it was very obvious that Izzy could have done more. They, he did not need to because he was winning. And so if you are just over there really excited about victory and numbers, like, cool, I don't know why you're a fan of this sport, but, like, yes, you are technically winning this argument, uh, but you're not winning the spirit of MMA because that is, he could have tried more. He could have done more. He could have put on more of a show. And maybe at a different point in his career, he might have done that because that was a thing that he was more invested in. But, again, it's a byproduct of, of how dominance and, and victories are rewarded in this sport. He's not going to step out of third gear when third gear is cruising comfortably to a win and he's not the first, he won't be the last champion to do it, but you just got to take it on the chin, man, because like that's it. They are real criticisms. Like it's very real and it's extremely real. And frankly, also extremely real to consider that. Like, I can't believe I'm about to do this Uh-oh. for all his faults. And there are many Conor McGregor, has never once in his career cruised to a win. That man comes out to kill you. And I would, I will argue that that is actually a, a substantially better and less, less risk averse strategy or, or more risk averse strategy than cruising in third gear. Because for however comfortable anybody feels, MMA, it only takes a second. And and Jared Kennedy hits really hard. And if Izzy had come out and just tried to stunt on him and blown his doors off in seven minutes, that's, you know, 
I'm not a math guy. That's 18 minutes less for Cannonier to pull off the one shot KO upset. Like there's, there's a legitimate argument for that. And I don't know whether that's what the calculus Connor made early in his career, or if he just said, dude, all of these people are not as good as me, even though that was wrong. I'm just going to come out and blow their doors off. And he did. And that for, there are a lot of other reasons why Connor is where he is, you know, but he delivered, he talked a mass amount of crap and he almost always, especially in his rise, he always delivered. And that's how you get fans to buy in and to love you. And Izzy has been on the cusp of being a huge star and he is still in context, a star in the sport. But the way you become the the next level, that dude, that guy who can go be in movies and, and do all this other stuff is talk all the stuff you talked about, Jared Cannon here beforehand, and then you deliver, you back it up. And he did it with Robert Whitaker because Robert Whitaker gave him the fight he wanted to do that with. And he hasn't done it basically since then because nobody else is consenting to the fight that's going to make him be a showcase fighter. But he has that in him. He could force people to fight fights that will let him showcase but he won't. And that's, it's really frustrating also from that in that standpoint to watch here because he could be a huge star if he would just kind of get out of his own way and try to be one a little bit more. I feel like before we move on to what this all means, I feel like Izzy needs a guy who's not going to kind of crumble under the pressure. And what I mean by that is I felt like Cannoneer was done on Wednesday. He went to that media day, didn't like the questions. And I've said this a couple of times, and I'll say it again. Everybody wants to be the champion until it's time to become the champion. And you realize what that all means, the weight of all that, all the obligations. You got to sit up at a press conference when you don't want to, when you want to be focusing on the fight, and you have to do all these other things. And I felt like Cannonier showed up on Wednesday. It was like, okay, I think I know what's going to happen here. This is what life's going to be like. And then he was like, oh, this is not ideal at all. So... We'll see what happens with Cannoneer. But in the meantime, a guy who is not folding under the pressure at all in any way is Alex Pajeda because this guy just doesn't let anything rattle him. Showed up at MSG, UFC debut, has kind of a slowish start, and then blows the doors off of his opponent. Then he gets a tough opponent, Bruno Silva, has a tough fight, gets through it. Then he fights Sean Strickland, and this fight became the biggest fight on the card. It became the most interesting thing all week. We don't like to talk about numbers and peek behind the curtain, but there was more interest on MMAfighting.com for Sean Strickland versus Alex Pajeda than the main event or the co-main event. Just everybody, Sean Strickland did his thing, Pajeda did this thing, his thing, and here we are. And Alex Pajeda goes out there, just bolts Sean Strickland. So now the story can be told. Two kickboxing fights, the knockout, et cetera. Here we are. Is this the guy to bring that out of Israel Adesanya? Now that he's got Alex Pajeda a guy who has two losses against in kickboxing. He's been knocked out by Alex Pajeda in kickboxing. Although the the fights were competitive and close, if you actually watch them. Izzy was Izzy, winning both fights. Izzy yeah. should have won the first one and was comfortably winning the second until he got killed. 100%. Is this the guy? Is this the guy to bring that out of Adesanya? Is this the guy that can sort of step in in that almost Paulo Costa role to not just go out there and get a win, but to make an emphatic statement? Mm, I don't know. I have a lot of questions about it. My my assumption actually is no, um, because the the calculus hasn't changed. Like Izzy is still going to prioritize, maybe more than ever, prioritize a win over a performance. Um, 
and the way he will prioritize a win is by he's a better kickboxer like he's a better more technically like efficient and better kickboxer he doesn't hit as hard maybe isn't as tough um and Pahe is certainly not a bad kickboxer by any stretch this guy's a multi-division glory champion he's a more pedigreed kickboxer uh than Izzy but it's I have a sneaking suspicion that Izzy Izzy has not wanted to engage with any dude who could functionally hit him hard. I honestly don't like Kelvin Gaslam was maybe the last person. And it's not like Kelvin's an enormous puncher, but he's a, he hits hard. That was the last person I think Izzy was like comfortable engaging with that hit that hits hard because like Robert Whitaker is, is not a bad puncher. He's not a big hitter. Uh, and Izzy still largely mostly didn't want to engage with him in that second fight. The first one, he just clobbered him coming in a bunch and killed him. Uh, half of, honestly, the Jan fight was Jan can check leg kicks at distance. And that's like, that's Izzy's go-to weapon when you aren't just going to duck your head and charge. Uh, and then he tackled him to the ground a bunch. Uh, the Yoel fight, which is still, to me, one of the funniest fights I've ever seen. Just ever it is hysterically funny to watch that fight back because it is exceptionally clear uh after as he gets hit by the one right hand from yoel early on he's like i'm just never going and punching distance of that dude again no interest in it and that's i kind of feel like Pahea has more acumen more ability to force izzy to be more active and and do something but like I kind of think that largely is he's just going to point fight him again because getting into exchanges is not a path to success. Like, I mean, it could be because he can succeed now against anyone in the world. There's also the chance that he just eats another big ass left hook because Alex Bahia, have you looked at that man? He is like designed by the gods to punch hard. His fists are enormous. They are like the size of toasters and he has go-go gadget arms that stretch forever. That man is leverage and mass, and that's how force works. It is it's no surprise to me at all that that dude hits as hard as he does. Just looking at him, he is built to clobber the brains out of people. So I hope so, man. I hope because he he will not be dis, disincentivized like Jerry Kennedy was. He is going to, to scrap. He is going to try and find openings, and he's going to throw volume, and he's going to try and make it a fight, but... I, I think that'll be one of those ones where Izzy really gets on his bike and wins like an awful, like and not an awful because it will be good, but it will just be like, yeah, Izzy mostly kicked him a bunch and ran away and wasn't there to be hit. And Pahea, maybe Izzy even shoots a takedown, which would also be hilarious. So I, at this point, I am twice bitten 18 times shy. I will believe Israel Disney has a fun fight when he shows me he has a fun fight. But if you can't pull out a James Irvin or something for him, he's probably just going to do this for a long time, which is dominant. But it, it's not making me tell my friends they need to cough up 75 bucks to watch this. Yeah, prayer is the, it, it is Pereira, not Pajera. I'm so it's used Pereira? to it. Okay. Yeah, it's Pereira. I'm, so his, his translator actually came in and was like, hey, it's Pereira. And I was like, oh, okay. But I'm just so used to oh, saying yeah. the name's like that, like Carlos, it's not Carlos. Diego I don't, Ferreira, I don't pronounce Pajeda. R's anymore. Just yeah. <laughs> everything, everything's a soft R. hundred percent, hundred percent. But Pereira is like the Brazilian Ivan Drago, like just not rattled. 
big power. You can tell like a machine kind of makes him and creates him what he is because he shouldn't be this good at MMA with this I mean, little experience. He well, shouldn't let's be Let's be clear. He, he might not be good at MMA. We have no idea if he's good at MMA or not. I don't think he is. I think he's good at punching people in the face and they have expertly booked him. He has really done a great job of sliding in there. But like I said beforehand, I still feel feel less confident just because I don't know, killer knockouts always add a little question to you. But like I think Marvin Vittori just waxes him. So it's like so Marvin Vittori has a big blockhead and he's just gonna come forward, pressure him, take him down, sit on him. Like that's just the thing he's gonna do. And that's but yeah. Uh I maybe I'm I hopefully, hopefully he'll bring something out in Izzy because you are right. This dude ain't shook for the, the difference between him and Izzy this past week is really stark to me as far as like who actually cares what people say about them and don't because Alex Barrett does not care. That man clearly just does not. It's just like whatever, dude. And Izzy is all wound up in his own head now or something. And so he's mad at the journalists and the internet. Ah, dude, I don't know. It's all real weird. But I hope that he'll be back to being cool and that fight will rule. But I am cautious uh, to believe so. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You mentioned, and we'll, we'll move on here. You mentioned that when the, the new MMA fighting rankings, the only rankings that matter come out, Israel Adesanya is going to be your number one pound for pound guy. Yes, sir. He will not be my number one pound for pound guy. It will be the current reigning defending UFC featherweight champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, after this performance against Max Holloway. This was a special showing, especially considering he basically fought 17 minutes with one hand and still put on that kind of performance, shuts out Max Holloway. I don't think anyone really expected a shutout like this. I still think people expected a big fight. There were so many people in Las Vegas who were saying, Max Holloway's going to win. He's got that fire. He's got that energy. He sold me. Holloway's going to not only – people say not only is Holloway going to go out there and Volkanovski, he's going to go out there and finish Volkanovski. That did not happen. Alexander Volkanovski gets it done, 50-45s across the board. What an incredible performance. Why is Volkanovski not your number one guy? Why is Adesanya a guy, especially after what happened on Saturday? So Volkanovski is my number two, uh, will be. Um, and that was, I I rigged the system a little bit for him to be up number two. He actually still should be number um, number four. I do pound for pound rankings, basically a point system. 
um, taking into account what you've accomplished in your weight class, who, who have you beaten, um, and kind of how those, how, not how those wins stand currently, because I view pound for pound as a snapshot of, of the current moment. So like Volkanovsky has four top five wins at 145. Three of them are Max Holloway and one's Brian Ortega. Um, and the rest of his resume is Chen Sung Jung, who I think we have as a top 10 uh, featherweight, but maybe he's top 15. Uh, I mean, that's like, that's like, that's the extent of it, of his featherweight resume, which is not bad. By no means am I saying beating Max Holloway three times is not good. Jose Aldo? It's, Come on. Jose Aldo is a bantamweight now. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I, I do credit wins outside of like ranked competition outside of division, but it doesn't get as many points as doing it in your division because if you pound for pound battles as a divisional supremacy thing and whatever, and I'm, Honestly, like I, I wanted to. I, I think I said in our, um, in our thing, uh, our, our like group Slack or whatever, that I wanted to uh, find a way to break the system out to to just lie to myself and put him above Izzy because Izzy's fight was boring and I don't want to reward boringness. But here's who Izzy's beaten. Uh, I'm going to use the UFC's rankings just for sake of simplicity. Robert Whitaker twice, Jared Cannonier, Marvin Vittori. Derek Brunson, Paulo Costa. That is one through five in the UFC's middleweight rankings. Alex Bahia is number six. Sean Strickland is seven. Uh, and then you get on down. Uh, Kelvin Gaslam is 11 there. But he has like five or six. I think he has five wins over top five opposition according to our rankings. He's got another several of them tucked away for middle thing. They talked about it afterwards. Like, who else is there for Alexander Volkanovsky to fight? He's cleaned out his division. Actually, no. He's fought two dudes in the top five of his division, so he hasn't cleaned it out at all. Uh, you know who has? Israel Desanya. He's absolutely cleaned out his division. He has beaten everybody to the point that we had to jerry-rig a, a series of fights to get Alex Bahia to be a contender for him. Like, that's just... And I'm going to reward it. Even if maybe it's not the most exciting... It is. It was dominant. It was unquestionably dominant. Jared Cannonier had zero moments where it looked like he was winning that fight, and dominance, duration, and you know, wide level of opposition. Izzy has all of it, so he has to take my number one spot. Technically, Usman and um, um, Ngannou should be ahead of Volkanovski, but I gave Volko just a little baby boost up just because it was such a good performance. But when Usman beats Leon Edwards uh, next or end of this month, is that, is that 30th? August. That's in August. Oh, that that's, that's August one. Okay. Yeah. Um, when, when Usman beats Edwards in August, he'll reclaim this second seed. Um, and in Ganu, I I'm docking in points cause he doesn't get to fight until January. So I, I, I rigged the system. So Volk could be number two, because if, if you're just doing it on like eye test, whatever, I have absolutely no issues with you calling him the top pound pound fighter in the world. I've I've thought Volk was a tremendous fighter for a long time. He's only getting better. Absolutely no issues. The only thing I want to see, I want to see him beat more people in his division. I'm tired of him fighting Max Holloway 17 times. I don't give a I do not care. Like I'll, I'll watch it, but I don't care about him going up to lightweight. Featherweight is a really fun, really exciting division with a lot of prospects on the rise. Fight him, dude fight them fight other people and said the same one dude for three years so what do we do here like a lot of people are saying josh, josh emmett thought he was going to be sitting cage side for this fight 
So mm-hmm. you could do that. Yair's fighting Brian Ortega, July 16th. I feel personally that if Yair wins that fight, it's going to be him and Volkanovski next, I agree. depending on whether or not they, they shoot him up. But I mean, wh- what else does Josh Emmett have to do? Because he, your eye favor on Sunday was pissed, was really pissed at apparently the treatment that Josh Emmett received on Saturday. But I don't remember anybody from the UFC brass saying, Hey, Josh Emmett is the next guy. He's sitting cage side and he's going to fight the winner of this fight. I don't remember anybody saying side of Josh Emmett. Yeah. That's because they didn't because I, I agree. I think that they think if, if Yair beats Ortega, that's the fight they're going to make. I, I feel pretty confident in that unless, unless they just give him what he wants because the, the commentary team really was setting it up. Like we're just going to do Volk at lightweight, even though, there honestly aren't a lot of worse times to do Volk at lightweight than right now, but whatever. Um, so maybe they are just going to do that. Maybe that's why they short shorted Josh Emmett. Maybe Emmett has to fight the winner of Ortega Rodriguez for an interim belt or something dumb. I, I don't know. But if, if Rodriguez beats Ortega, I think you do Rodriguez. I think that makes sense. Um, but mainly because I don't think Josh Emmett actually beat Calvin Cater. But if we're going on the officials, he did. And so, yeah, I don't think he needs to do anything else for a title fight, though. I think he can just sit and wait, and that's because he should. He should be fighting for the belt, and that's the thing. If Alexander Volkanovski goes with the lightweight, he'll have plenty of success. I'm not saying he won't. I think he'll beat a lot of top lightweights if he wanted to scrap. I'm not confident he would win the belt, but I do think Oliveira presents a more winnable fight for him than some of the other ones up there. But I don't care because he's not a lightweight. Unless he's going to go be lightweight, and then I care all the cares. I have all the cares in the world if he's just going to say, I'm going to go be a lightweight. But I don't need multi-division champion defending belts across my like, No. Pick one, pick a lane, and be in it. And if you're going to leave featherweight, that's fine. Totally do that. I'm okay with it. Go chase your dreams lightweight. But part of it, you never see people... Do you don't see Henry Cejudo saying, I want to go fight you know, Max Holloway, and then I'll fight Volk. You don't see Volk saying, I want to go beat up Justin Gaethje to get the right to challenge for a title. It's, I want to cut the line because I don't want to have to do the things everyone else does because it's that's an easier way to a title shot. And I get that. I fundamentally understand that as an easier and some would argue justified way to view it. But I, I don't care. Like, show me, if you want to do it, go up and fight somebody. And and fight anyway, and then prove to me that you are a winning lightweight. And okay, let's give it a go. But that's not how the sport has worked since Connor broke it in 2016. It's probably never how it's going to work again. And so instead, there's a real world where Volk's going to fight whoever, Islam or, or Oliveira or Michael Chandler. I don't know is somehow in the title conversation. I can't figure that out. But okay, he's they're probably going to let him do it. And in the meantime, featherweight is going to have other young, exciting prospects coming up in all jockeying position until we get a log jam. Because that's what happens when the champion does other things and doesn't defend regularly. You get a log jam of what could be fun contenders. And instead it's like, all right, well, now we need, now we need Francis Ngannou and Curtis Blades to fight a second time because Stipe and DC are just holding the belt up, going ring around the rosy for a while. And now instead of getting both Nganu and Curtis Blades as fun title challengers, Curtis Blades is a lifetime away from a title fight because Nganu did end up winning the belt. And so it's just like, no, like what if everybody just stayed in their lane, defended their title and moved on? Because I'll close on this point. 
Volk is not the greatest featherweight of all time. He still has a lot of work to do in that regard because championships matter. Title defenses matter. Jose Aldo defended his belt nine friggin' times. Volk can go win a second belt, sure. That will not matter in my regards and in reasonable regards towards your GOAT status, frankly. But what would if he just sat and defended his belt because it is impossibly difficult to defend your title time in and time out. It gets harder each and every time. Volk is not the youngest dude in the world, even though he's getting better every time out. He has a finite window to defend his featherweight belt. Like that is that window is closing a lot quicker than I think any of us think, because that window closed a lot quicker than we all thought it would on Max Holloway. It's just how this sport works. If I was in his corner, I would tell him, dude, go you you'll beat Josh Emmett. Go beat Josh Emmett. Beat Ira Rodriguez. Get Arnold Allen. Like get stack up some names underneath you the way Demetrius Johnson did. And then you'll be literally an all-time, all-timer instead of a good champion who has multiple title defenses but ends up losing it because you took a failed attempt at 155 and got tackled to death by Islam Makachev because Mak will just roll him. So, like, I don't know. I, I didn't like a lot of CKB this weekend and all of their future plans, frankly. Fair enough. Yeah, it's if, if I actually feel like if Volk's going to do it, do it now because I feel like the most interesting title defenses he's going to have are coming, like, a year and a half from now. When you get Mavzar of Loyev, when you get Taporia, Arnold Allen, when you get these guys Dude, going on just an incredible run. I'm super you, interested in Josh Emery Rodriguez because they're different people. I think Volk wins them. No, that like, makes sense. Volk's fought the same dude so much. And yes, it's great. But I knew after the first one that Volk was a better fighter than Max. Or at least that style was substantially more effective for him than it was for Max. But like Brian Ortega, that fight ruled. That fight was insane and awesome. And it was like the champ was in legitimate danger. And like, that's like, I want to see that. Maybe Josh Emmett has that in him. Who the hell knows? Dude hits hella hard and Volk can get hurt. Like, I want to see those fights. I don't want to see him just cut the line of, because the other end of it is 155 is super log jammed already. Like there's so much going on there right now because Oliver is trying to fight freaking Connor again. And so it's just like, Dude, I want to know who the actual best lightweight in the world is, and I want the best featherweight to defend against featherweights. I want, I want that kind of normalcy in my life. Please give me that instead of the endless masquerade of of champ champs and money fights and all this. Like it's just exhausting. Yeah, fifty five is crazy. But just just find some neutral territory and do this freaking Oliveira Makachev fight. Enough is enough. Don't do it in Abu Dhabi. Do, do, it, do it in Brazil. Brazil. Do, do it in it, Brazil. Yeah. I mean, Makachev said he'd go to Brazil. Makachev's but... down. Do it in Brazil. If the UFC doesn't book that in Brazil, they have to just be doing something with Connor, which makes me sad. But like doing that fight in Brazil seems to be the exact way to do this. Yeah, that's fine. I don't want to see it in Abu Dhabi. I don't think Oliveira has any interest in fighting Makachev in Abu Dhabi. And if they offer him that fight, he should just say, no, I'll yeah. fight the winner, not in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah, so it's still going to be a cluster. And listen, Volkanovski's got options right now. If he wants to go to 55, I think the UFC will let him. But if he wants to stay at 45 and keep trying to rattle off these wins and try to catch Jose Aldo, he could certainly do that as well. Let's move on to another big story coming out of this card. In the Bantamweight division, we were all ready to see Sean O'Malley get his big test against a top 10 guy in Pedro Munoz. Absolutely fantastic matchmaking, at least on paper. We saw the first round, how it plays out. Two of the judges give Pedro Munoz the first round. Then we get the eye poke. 
Munoz can't continue. Fight is over. O'Malley and Munoz have their moment in the octagon. O'Malley says he's sorry. Seems like cooler heads are going to prevail. Maybe we just go and run this back. Sean O'Malley doesn't seem all that interested in running it back because he mm-hmm. claims it's a victory for himself, claims that Pedro Munoz agreed with a lot of people on Twitter that he basically saw a way out and took it instead of taking an L. That's what a lot of people felt. Sean O'Malley feels the same way. Henry Zahudo starts calling him out and says, you know, I'll take a, you know, I'll take a tune-up fight with you and all that happened as well, which I actually thought, for, honestly, I thought that was the best thing Henry Cejudo has done since apparently doing the, the comeback was he actually challenged somebody that doesn't have a title, which I actually I actually like that. But be that as it may, if you're the UFC Safe right win. now, yeah, if, you, if you're the UFC right now and you see how this all played out, are we just running this back or are we turning the page and we have this in our back pocket, we could run this back, kind of like the Cheeto thing in a way, we could just rerun this back at any other point or do we just do we just go back to this or do we go a different direction do we try to book o'malley versus cejudo what do we do here depends on what they're trying to accomplish with sean o'malley um because i i honestly don't know uh sean o'malley dropped out of my rankings this month after that fight uh because he was losing he was not winning that fight um and sure there was a lot of time left in that fight but what i saw made me uh, substantially left. I've been high on him as a prospect because he's a really good offensive fighter. His defense isn't much. His defense is that he's long. Um, but offensively, he's extremely potent and that can get you really, really far. Um, and I thought we've mostly seen development. And so it's like, all right, he's this, this is going to be a guy who's a perennial top 10 dude. He still may be that. He had absolutely zero ability to answer what Pedro Munoz was doing. He had and maybe he was going to find it uh, in the second half of the fight. But Pedro Munoz just didn't engage with him. He stayed at range and kicked him in the leg a bunch. And Sean O'Malley couldn't do anything about it. He didn't have the tools to close that, to walk Munoz down effectively, to cut the cage on him, to get into the sorts of exchanges where he thrives and excels. And since Munoz wasn't giving him those, he was just kind of losing a not great fight. Um and I, I didn't see it changing. I did not see anything that looked like, oh, something really substantive here is going to gonna break. And so that gives me a lot of concerns about what O'Malley can be in the future. Um, if that's because he's he's not young. He's not he's not old, but he's like 27, isn't he? He's been in the UFC like six years. He's been around. This is it's put up shot up time. Like you got to start doing things and he's got some good wins. But like this is where he need he should be stacking the kind of title ascension wins, you know, to to get into that conversation. And Munoz was supposed to be a guy for him to do that. And he, whether he was going to win or lose, he was not going to win in the way that he was supposed to win, which is in itself a not not a great sign for him. So if you're still trying to be high on him, if you still think, hey, this guy brings a certain fan base, like this is still a dude we want to push promotionally. I don't think you run it back because. I think Pedro Munoz might be a more difficult fight for him because Pedro really wanted to win and was approaching that smart fight incredibly smart. Uh, but then I don't know who you do. If I was me, if it was me, because I don't, I just don't understand Sean O'Malley as a star. I, I accept that he is and that people care about him, but I fundamentally do not understand why. Um, I would just book him against Adrian Yanez because that fight would rule. Like that would be super fun. Yanez probably kills him. But that probably would be incredibly fun to watch. Uh, 
but they probably won't do that. He is, I don't know, what's, I'm trying to think of somebody who, like, is surely going to be a good win for him and to step up. Rob Font? I don't Not saying he'd that, win I that fight, but I, I think don't that's, know that that's he, an interesting matchup for him. Rob Font might be the best because he can beat Rob Font. I don't know that he will beat Rob Font. Rob Font's jab may give him a lot of problems, but and Rob Font's also relative length as far as the division goes. Um, but like you can't have him fight Ricky Simone. Like that would just be an awful fight for him. Um, yeah, they would have made that fight already if that was the direction. Yeah, they like you can't, like you can't, you can't do that. You can't move him up. You can't really do the Cheeto because Cheeto's not going to take that fight at this point. It's a big step back for him. So, yeah. Uh, I guess Rob Font is probably the right answer. Um, Songy Dong would be fun, but also killing off killing off prospects isn't isn't the best business strategy. So, yeah, Rob Font, give me Rob Font. That seems okay. Yeah, if they run it back, cool. They could do Fonts. They could do a number of different things. They could do Cejudo. I actually don't mind the Cejudo one because I feel like it's a win-win for the UFC because if he beats Cejudo, it's a very big deal. And if he loses, you could chalk it up to, he I know never, he's not he the youngest guy ever. Cejudo. but he right. never beat Cejudo. But yes, that is fair. I don't think that fights, ever, I don't think, that just doesn't sound like something UFC will do. But like, mainly because I don't think the UFC wants to do Henry Cejudo favors. Like that is my interpretation of this situation is they are not opposed to him returning, but they are not going to help him in any capacity and giving him a softball win over a big name is probably helping him. So my guess is they don't do that, but it wouldn't be awful from that standpoint. Yeah. They should just do Cejudo versus Piotr Jan call it a day. Yeah. That's that, that's the fight that should be made. I don't 100%. think, I don't think Cejudo takes that fight. No. And he shouldn't. <laughs> He shouldn't take that fight. He if should. he gets a shot at O'Malley, that's that's well, the one. If, if he can get Sean O'Malley instead of Piotr Jan, but I think Cejudo is. I still don't believe Cejudo is coming back. Yeah. Unless we'll unless the UFC is going to do him the favor of an immediate title shot, I don't think he's coming back. Which and I don't think they will. Shot, I mean, at featherweight, because I don't. He keeps pretending like he wants the bantamweight. I don't think he cares. I think he just wants to fight Alexander Volkanovski. If they didn't give it to him in Jacksonville, they're not going to. And I know he has to go through the the whole thing of the USADA testing pool, but they've given exemptions to people yeah, before. And if they to. really wanted to make that fight, they could have, and they chose not to. They went with the Korean zombie. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they could have done the Cejudo fight right there and then, and they didn't do it. I can't so. wait till Henry Cejudo leaves our lives. <laughs> Retire and do movies like Don Cerrone, buddy. Like, I just don't need your pretend wanting to fight and starting beef with like everyone. By the way, my favorite commenter is a guy named the real Mike Heck and his image is the guy from the middle. And by the way, I've been Mike Heck longer than that guy was Mike Heck. All right. So I'm the real Mike Heck, damn it. Or my dad is the real Mike Heck, the senior. So he's actually got me by 20 some years. I'm a junior. Hmm. I'm a junior. Look at the Twitter. Look at the Twitter handle, bro. I have never noticed that. If that's in your Twitter handle, that has gone over sure. my head. Boom. JR. We'll see what happens. Listen, if they want to if they want to run back the Pedro fight, cool. But even even after all this, O'Malley has options. And that just shows that the way that they view O'Malley and I just feel like the way that Pedro Munoz has been treated through all of this is is just been horrendous. It's been really awesome. And then he goes on the MAR yesterday and he could have just blasted everybody and he was like, "Nah, he's just the nicest guy." Yeah, Pedro's salt of the earth and fans can be dumb especially it really feels like fans of 
there's a there's the Venn diagram of fighters I don't like and fans of theirs that I don't like is a perfect circle. It's just like, yeah. Yeah, of course you'd be a fan of this dude if you think Pedro freaking Munoz is faking an eye injury, you nerds. I will say, in their slight, very, very slight defense, this is not a condemnation of Pedro Munoz because it's just sort of how it breaks down or whatever. It is, in fact, a really bad look to when a doctor is asking you about can you see in your eye for the first thing you say is, that's the second time. Like, it's when one, it isn't. <laughs> second time is the first time. But it's just the optics of that were really, really bad of can you see Ah, he poked me in the eye already. Like he did it before. Like that's that's not the answer that anyone that anyone of a certain range of of IQ points is going to hear and be like, yeah, that's just a thing to say. It's going to immediately be like, oh, he's looking for a way out. Fighters don't look for ways out, guys. They, there. I can think of a handful of times when a fighter legitimately like was afraid of someone and didn't want to fight him, or quit in the middle of a fight. It's, it's Diego Sanchez took a DQ loss. Like he 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 wanted a DQ win. That's like one of the only times in modern history that I will say, yeah, fighter for sure just took the took took the dubs. And you and remember the reaction for the from that? Oh, veteran move. Oh, veteran I mean, move. I mean that's that's what it should be. It is. I mean, because again, I think Pedro should have faked it and been like, uh, that was intentional. Give me my because Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley should have lost that fight uh, because he poked him in the eye. You know who didn't poke who in the eye? Pedro didn't poke Sean in the eye. Somehow both of them, both of them suffer because Sean O'Malley cheated. Inadvertently or not, he did a thing that you are not legally allowed to do. That's called cheating. And one of them did nothing wrong, and one of them did all the things wrong. And somehow this really great system we have punishes both people equally because we don't feel like he meant to cheat. I'd still still very stupid. I hate, as we said, I hate how DQ rules work. As we've said many times, until the rules change, until the referees start stepping up, just cheat your ass off. Cheat your ass off because nothing's ever going to get called. Somebody cheated this past weekend brilliantly. I'm trying to remember who it was. I can't I'll try to remember I'll, too. Because you I'll uh, think of it. Because I definitely it. said it at the time. I was like, oh, this person very geniusly cheated in a fight they are losing. And <laughs> It might have been Ian Gary. No, Did not Ian cheat? Gary. It might have been Dr- Drickus Duplessis in that first round when Brad was kind of getting the better of him. Did he like kick Brad low? Yeah, there are, there are a few fence grabs too. I I think I think it was Drickus Duplessis who uh, who did a little bit of little bit of uh, extracurriculars in a veteran move and totally support DDP. Way to go, buddy! Yes, it was a good night for the middleweight division. DDP shine. Andre Muniz might just be. Like the guy. Oh, he's the dude. Yeah. That would was you just... would you care to guess how high I have in my middle ranking? I got to take a sneak peek at your rankings. Oh, you? And yeah, because I filled okay. mine out too. And I was just like, wow, you are insane. Um, I'm gonna say you put him like number four or something up in that in that neck of the woods. He's he's uh, we still have some time. I hate at five right now behind Johnny Eblin, but I may bump him in front of Johnny Eblin. Yeah, I think I got him up there pretty high. I honestly, well. I considered three. I considered putting him behind Bobby Knox and just being like, screw it, let's run it. 
dude. Because some of my good. rankings this month are oh, you're, you're are on. saucy. <laughs> I'm on one this month. <laughs> you have. I think you just did that just so they invite you on the ranking show so you could try to defend yourself. I really didn't. My lightweight rankings. I just got fed up with that division and said, "I'm I'm cleaning house. I'm done with this garbage. Let's 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 rank the actual best lightweights in the world, not." A bunch of old dudes who are squatting on rankings, fighting each other in a circle, that and never giving contenders a shot. I love people are like, "Oh, you beat Uriah Hall, so you're not a top five guy, so, so you're a top." He beat the. Ha- I mean, he ran over Uriah Hall. I mean, this there was not one point in that. I mean, there was a moment like the end of the second round when things got a little dicey, but he made a mistake. I don't even think that got dicey. I whenever something like that happens, I always just think like he literally heard the clapper and was like, "I don't care." <laughs> Like, I gave up position. I'm not going to do anything for 10 seconds. I'm just going to put my hands over my face and we'll be at the end of the round real fast because I heard the clapper like five minutes, five seconds ago. We also had two retirements, Jessica I and Donald Cerrone. So happy trails to both of them. Jessica I, who knows? She might do pro wrestling. She might take the Felice Herrig route and maybe she ends up in BKFC, but she basically was just like, nope, I'm not getting the boot. I'll leave on my own. So. Happy responsible, responsible choices from both of them. Good, good careers, solid effort, challenge for belts. I mean, that's look at the end of the day. That is all you can ask for in the sport is that you, you got your day in court. You got your chance to prove you are the best in the world and you weren't. And that's okay. Cause being the second best or the fifth best, that's it's still an unbelievable accomplishment. Like, I mean, I know that we're the two best podcasters in the world, but like we don't have like a a way to prove that in a in a tournament of champions or something, but like, you know, so it's not the same. It's not the same as knowing that I'm fighting for the world championship belt. I am one of I am at, at the bare minimum one of the five best fighters in the world. And I have the chance to prove that I am no doubt about it, the best in the world. It's an unbelievable accomplishment. Both of them had it. So good good on them. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We'll do like a little bit of a potpourri round to to wrap things up. We got to talk about UFC Vegas 58. It's going down this Saturday. We're kind of, dude, the main event's real good, is it not? Rob? Rafael versus Rafael. This is a this is a big fight. This is a big fight. This is a big one for RDA. It's a huge one for Fazeev. This is like the perfect next step up, isn't it? You're hiding your it's face very, in your hands, but I love this fight. It's a very good fight. 
I am legitimately excited and interested in it. And if you have listened to No Bets Bard, it's a great podcast on the MMA Fighting Podcast Network. You should go check that out. Dropped last night. You will already have heard this speech, so I apologize to you. For those of you who are up on top of your MMA Fighting Podcast streams. This fight bothers the holy hell out of me because it is the stupidest thing that the UFC can't do things better. They are ostensibly a promotion. A promotion's job is to promote, to get people to draw interest to their product, to get eyeballs to tune in. This is an event that, for being honest, probably just shouldn't exist. Like, they probably should have taken a week off. International Fight Week is last week. It's the biggest weekend of the year for the UFC through the Hall of Fame. There's an overload of UFC last week. Next week, they're going to Long Island. Then it's London. Then we've got another pay-per-view. It's a big spread. So this is the card that is going to be forgotten. And so you could probably just not have one. Like you can just, hey, we're going to take a week off and then we're rolling into Long Island. Hell yeah, let's get ready. Instead, they give us a card. Okay, fine. Having fights is always at least a good option for us to have. So if you're a fan, you got nothing to do Saturday, great. You can watch these fights. But make people care because this fight has a baked in storyline. It's baked in because literally Rafael Fazeev called for it. He called out RDA by saying, hey, there are two of us in this town with the name Rafael, and this division ain't big enough for the both of us, so let's fight over it. And instead of the UFC doing anything fun about this, they just rolled out a poster, put them at the top of it. Here we go. Here's another 12 fights for your Saturday. We're just churning through them, churning through them, churning through them. Like, Make things stand out. Make things interesting and fun. This is what I pitched all like all just off the top of my head, but I actually have come around to deciding that this is the best idea. Make this for the golden name tag, a golden Rafael name tag that's on the line and do something fun and interesting. Like be interesting, be interesting. It's not that hard to just try to be interesting, especially when the fighters themselves are spoon feeding you things. It infuriated me when Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez fought for the most violent fighter in the world thing that they cooked up between themselves. And the UFC didn't do shit with that. They could have made a crown of thorns or anything cool and been like, hey, this is it. And you don't have to just make one for every fight. I'm not saying figure out a promotional gimmick and throw it at every fight because 40 of those is a lot of those. And we don't need that every year. But when they're there, take them. You did it with the BMF belt. You can do it with this and say, hey, they're fighting for the thing. And you can even up the stakes in the stupidest but most compelling way by saying you get the golden name tag. They get to wear it. It's like a chain, you know, like a turnover chain in football. They get to wear it for all their future fights with their Rafael. And from now into eternity, unless they rematch, the UFC can no longer call him Rafael Fazeev or Rafael Dos Anjos. It's just... Dos Anjos or Fazeev or RDA. <laughs> like you don't get to use they will for all their promotional things. Just be like, no, your name is gone. You guys are fighting over the naming rights and this will you could they could change it on EA UFC four. So it's just R Dos Anjos or whatever. Like you don't have to do it. You can be fun and interesting. You can like your job and want to excel at it instead of just stamp, move on, stamp, move on, stamp, move on. Gotta get to 42 because that's when the paycheck from ESPN comes in. And so this event frustrates me to no end because it was a freaking softball to be cool and they couldn't even pretend to be. They didn't even like 
I'm not looking at the poster, but it's not Battle of the Raphaels on the poster, is it? No. It's yeah, just, they didn't even yeah, do just, that. Like literally, it's just the minimum versus Eve. There's no yeah. Raphael to be found. Yeah, that's this worst title ever. Battle of the, Battle of the Raphaels. Like that's it. Bam. That's at least something a slight step towards interesting and giving a shit about your job and taking pride in your work. And they're just they're just cranking them out because they got to get to forty two. And it sucks. It's so lame, and it bothers the hell out of me every time I think about this fight. It's a good fight. It's a great yeah. fight. Yeah, I think Gardy really has a really good chance to to win. Honestly. Yeah, he's a lot. He's a very live underdog in this fight because he was a much bigger favorite than I thought he was going to be. So I think I'm he's minus two ten. The last the last I looked. Yeah, it's uh because he does really cool shit in the cage. You know, he gets all matrixy. Um, he picks fights with Connor because Connor doesn't know how axe kicks work, which is real weird. Um, you know, it was, he's, he's fun. He's dude. He is a very fun fighter. If the, the best outcome is for him to win because RDA is past his prime. We don't need another old dude coming up the top of that division. So let the new blood win. But RDA is still a tough out. It'll be a really tough fight for Steve. Love the fight. Can't wait to see what happens. Can't wait to see if this fight gets extended, which if I'm RDA, I mean, you want to try to get him out of there early, but Getting this to the fourth and fifth round, really interested to see what Fazib looks like when he gets to the championship rounds. Kyle Baraglio is getting a second straight co-main event. Uh, gets Armin Petrosian, Saeed Nurmagomedov is back. The they Jet must Mishu's- really like Kyle Baraglio. And I think he's a good prospect, but like they must really like him to be giving him this feature this this heavy this early. Yeah. We get Saeed back and uh, the Jed Mishu special, Jared Bandera versus Chase Sherman on the main card. I cannot believe, I don't want to go into it too much because we spent way too much time talking about it on No Bets Bard. I cannot believe that this fight is on the main card. I cannot believe this fight is even happening in the UFC. These dudes are 0-3 and 0-4 and and in their last fights, respectively. What the hell are we doing here? And neither of them are prospects. Like, Vandera is, I think, 30, so, like, theoretically, he could maybe get a ranking someday just because of the way heavyweight works, but like, dude, what the hell are we doing? Why is this, why is this awful, awful fight on, on a UFC broadcast in the year of our Lord, 2022? Massive fight for Cynthia Calvillo. Definitely needs a win against Nina Nunes, who's bumping up to 125. I mean, that's the biggest fight on the card outside of the main event. Yeah. Michael Johnson, Jamie Malarkey has got to be bananas. Really like that one. Really fun. Yep. Ricky Tercios getting back in there, taking on Eamon Zahabi. Antonina Shevchenko, Courtney Casey, Cody Brundis, Treshawn Gore. It's a That fight ain't going to the judges. Yeah, 100%. David Onama really staying on the card, fighting Garrett Armfield, who I'm very excited, finally gets his shot in the UFC. Unfortunately, he's got to go up a weight is. class. He's good. Florida kid. Fought a lot for Shamrock FC. Good fighter. M- usually a bantamweight. He has fought Onama before, and they had a, they had a close close decision fight, which I believe was won okay. by Onama. Uh, Kennedy Anchichuku, Carl Wilberson. In my opinion, the lowest, rules. yeah, and the lowest of the low key bangers, Ronnie Lawrence, Saidi Keb, Hakramanov. That fight's gonna be ridiculous. Fight's so, very fun as well. Yeah. So if you got nothing to do on a Saturday and you don't have just a gigantic UFC 276 hangover, watch this card. Look, there's a, there, all the fights are competitive. Like yep. every one of the fights. And I mean, the odds reflect it. Most of them are pretty close. Um, if you're just looking for competitive scraps, this should be decent. If you're looking for name value, this ain't it, dog. Um, but some some people who might do some things, I'm coming around on the idea that Kennedy uh, in Jakku is is actually like maybe going to be a real problem. He's just he's so big, Mike. He's just so big. He's the largest man alive. 
So yeah, I mean, there's some prospects here. Um, some, you know, the main event's good. It's not an awful card. Not bad at all. All right. If you guys got uh like just random potpourri questions, throw them up. Uh, Jimmy Flick's coming back. Jed, this might be the shortest retirement in NBA history. Fifteen months, he's back. Thoughts well, that's on definitely, Jimmy? That's definitely not the shortest retirement. It's in one of the history. shortest. I mean, it's it's not it's not long certainly, but there's no chance that's uh, the shortest retirement. One time, uh, honestly, I think the best thing Tito Ortiz has ever done in his entire career is retiring but saying he he was retired, but he was still going to fight. I forget the exact quote, because I, I but I wrote it, and like it is paraphrased slightly. Yeah, I'm definitely going to retire. I mean, I might still take some... Uh, I'm definitely retired. I may still take some fights as they come, but like I'm for sure retired. <laughs> it's like, you're an absolute hero, Tito. I don't think you know what retired means. <laughs> uh, what was your question, Mike? Something about Jimmy Flick? Yeah, he's kind of... Think. I mean, I, good good for him. He, sure, he's he's great great name. Um, he he he's the dude who um he had the flying triangle choke right on Cody yes, Durden on Cody Durden. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was sick. So, um, yeah, good. We'll see. I mean, I doubt he's gonna like make real noise or whatever, but fine. Love the name. Love fun names. They're at least interesting. Jimmy got, the got, flick. I mean, it's look, it's not a bad choice. It's a good name. Do we have anything else to well I'm I'm concerned because here in the low country, as you know, we the weather forecasts say it's gonna be sunny and breezy and a nice day, and then all of a sudden we get a whole bunch of freaking storms. Afternoon thunderstorm. No, but I think we're hanging on here. We're hanging on. Afternoon thunderstorm. Yeah, we're hanging on. That is my entire life growing up. You could just in, in high school, my job was I was a lifeguard at a private country club. Um, outside of this job currently, the best job I've ever had. Unbelievably fun. Um, got paid pretty good money for high school, and I just sat at the pool all day. And we had adult swim uh, on the hour for 15 minutes every hour. And every day during the summer, you were basically guaranteed to get a 32 hour and a half long break because at some point a thunderstorm was going to roll in for, for 20 minutes lightning flash all right clear the pool nobody <laughs> swim for a while there's like clockwork best job i've ever had outside of mmafighting.com the best website in the world before i uh before i came with mma fighting i freelanced mma for like a, i was told my wife give me a year if i don't get a job like I'll, i won't cover it anymore so i had to obviously if you freelance you make no money at all so i made very little pa announcer for a minor league baseball team and they had a sun delay every single game. When the sun, sun peered over center field, they would stop delay? the game and a sun delay. Yes, a sun delay every that, single game. What? What's? Is it because like the batter couldn't see because the sun? Like, yeah, I don't, pretty much. I, okay, I just like I don't understand what that would be. The only thing I could that would make sense to me, but okay. And then it became I mean, a that's thing. awesome. Yeah, that's they would celebrate it. Yeah, they played games on the field and all that it's stuff. Like the like, seventh inning stretch. Yeah. yeah. But it was like 30 to 45 minutes every game. And there are certain things, times where I'm like, I just want to like go home. You know what I mean? Oh, I yeah. I want to go home. I don't, yeah. I don't need a sun delay. I don't need a sun yeah. delay. But... I mean, that's that's just how that goes. Though. Yes. I think we're done here. Um, <laughs> no, we, I, think you know, we're done. I think you're done here. I, I think, uh, <laughs> listen, we got to. 
<laughs> yes, Jed. Oh, hey, that's, that's the, real the dude Mike from Heck Scrubs. Jr. The real Mike Heck Jr. It's the dude that's from hilarious. Scrubs. The janitor, Jan Etor. That's super funny. Wow. Well done. You you win the game. Maybe you are the real Mike Heck Jr. after <laughs> after changing everything like that. So uh, preview show tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern. We will preview the, this card a little more in depth. UFC Vegas 58. We'll have the People's Pre-Fight Show on Saturday as well. Heck of a morning. Back again tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. The Thanks, everybody, for, for jumping on that. Uh, well, post-fight show, on to the next one, all that fun stuff. A lot of people asking when we're going to cover events again. I have no idea. Jed and I might be uh, tag team in something in the first big, week of August. Big event. Big yes. event. You guys, I'm sure you've all been circling your calendars for it. So yes, we, we won't spoil anything, but big event. Maybe Perhaps. the biggest event that's happened in, in months. Including Perhaps the, uh, the BMF champion might be promoting an event right down the road. Jorge Masvidal. So we might, uh, might make something happen there. Maybe we'll play some golf. We'll play some golf and uh, go cover some MMA. That'd be love, fun. Love covering regional MMA. Who doesn't love regional MMA? Hey, that's how we all get our start. But we're out of here. For Jed, I am Mike Heck. Thanks for watching, everybody. Appreciate you jumping out. Casey back next week, so the show looks a little bit more professional from a video standpoint. Hope we'll have an actual battle going on. But until then, everybody, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. See you back next week between the legs. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.